If you can open with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to camp out today. And let me welcome you to week 2 of our Christmas series that we are calling Fear Not. Where we are focusing on three fear not statements found in the gospel of Luke surrounding the birth of Jesus. Where an angel would come to fearful people. Last week we saw Zechariah, this week Mary, next week the, the shepherds and saying fear not or do not be afraid. And what Luke is showing us in the first part of, of his gospel is how the events surrounding the birth of Christ kind of expose some of our biggest fears. And what we know is that Christmas, while it's a time of joy for some, it is also a time when fears and hurts rise up in others. Many of us, as we said last week, over the next weeks, will battle feelings of fear, loneliness, depression, grief, hopelessness, helplessness, disappointment, just to name a few of things that we will experience. And as we said, we're going to spend this time, the next few weeks, focusing on, and already have, the picture of fear and what that is in our lives. And just think about the reality of fear that we face. And then think about what is it that lies behind all of our fears. So what is it that lies behind every fear that you and I have? And I, I believe that we could correctly say that it's a lack of trust, whether it's trust of God or maybe trust of ourselves that is definitely a root cause. I mean, we know that when you think about the picture of fear, there are, there are good fears, there are bad fears. So we, we know that there are some fears that will keep us alive. I shared with you last week my fear of snakes. There's a God-given fear that will keep me from going up to a, um, just a terrible animal, terrible serpent that is, it is, and grabbing it because it could kill me. So there's a fear there that God gave me, but there's also a fear that could keep us paralyzed, um, unable to, to move. But then I also think that kind of the fear behind every fear is the fear of the unknown, where we just don't know what's going to happen. We just don't know what's coming. And because we don't know what's coming or what could be, we are left either paralyzed or left to die a slow, painful death or even choose something worse. A story was told by an Arab chief who says that a, a spy was captured and sentenced to death by a general um, in the Persian army. This general had the strange custom of giving condemned criminals a choice between the firing squad or the big black door. And let me just pause right here and say that this is not part of that. So I walked in the day and I said, uh-oh, somebody, somebody knows where we're going with this. So this is the youth prop has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But so the, the moment for execution drew near and the guards brought the spy before the Persian general. And the Persian general asked, what will it be, the firing squad or the black door? And the spy hesitated for a long time, and finally he chose the firing squad. A few minutes later, hearing the shots ring out, confirming the spy's execution, the general turned to his aide and said, they always prefer the known to the unknown. People fear what they don't know, yet we gave them a choice. Finally, the, the aide had the courage to ask what lies beyond that door, to which the general replied, freedom. But I've only known a few brave enough to take that door. But just think with me here. They always prefer the known to the unknown. 
They always prefer that. People fear what they don't know. And think about this. How many of us would like to know the future? So none of us. Okay, a few of us. A few of us are telling the truth today. The rest of you are lying in church. So just think about that. Let God deal with you today, and then we'll get back to you a little later. So most of us, there's something at least in our lives that we wish we knew what was going to happen. Um, who wouldn't want to know? Um, some things that the future might hold for us, for our, our families, for our church, or, or for our nation. We would love to know some of those things, yet... Think about this. Follow with me here. Upon knowing the future, the question becomes, are we able to face it without fear? Are we able to face it without doubts? Are we able to be humble servants of a sovereign God? And what we are about to see in the word of God this morning is that even when you are told what is coming, it doesn't eliminate the fears, the questions, and the doubts. Especially when what we are told seems like an impossibility to us. Last week we began this series and we focused on Zechariah. And Zechariah was a man, him and his wife had prayed and sought the Lord and wanted a child, and God saw fit not to answer their prayer. They had become old and were labeled as, as barren. And finally, as a priest, Zechariah was selected to go into the temple to burn incense, which was a sign of prayer. As he goes in, he has an encounter with Gabriel, the angel, who tells him. Don't be afraid. We've heard. God's heard your prayer. You and Elizabeth will have a son. And of course, Zacharias, we saw last week, his first thing was, well, how can I know this is going to happen? I mean, apparently the angel standing before him was not enough of a sign for him. Apparently he needed to know more. So the angel said, okay, I'm going to put you on a nine-month timeout where you will not be able to speak or hear because of your disobedience, because of your failure to believe in this moment. But we know that God kept his word. Zechariah and Elizabeth would have a son. We know him as John the baptizer or John the Baptist, as, as some of us know him. But this morning we come to probably the most famous of the three statements that we're going to cover this season. Because what we have before us today, the announcement of the most wonderful event that have ever happened in the world, the incarnation and the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's never, ever been better good news proclaimed than what Gabriel comes and proclaims to Mary that day. Think about this. The world was spinning out of control in sin, and the world had not heard from God in a while. In fact, last week we said it had been over 400 years, over 400 years of silence, not a spoken revelation or written revelation of God to his people. So God had not spoken to his people 400 years of silence. Then, as if out of nowhere, comes an angel to Zechariah and now to a young girl from a lowly family in a nowhere land to announce the greatest news that has ever been heard by human ears. Here's the point. God has spoken to sinful people, and what God has said to us is this, Jesus. Jesus. God has spoken to us, and his message is simply, Jesus is our Savior. And so I want us this morning to dive into this rich text and see the fear of the impossible, 
Even when we know what's going to happen, there is fear of the impossible. How is it going to happen? I know what I'm able to bring to the table. I know what I've got, and it's not that. How is it going to happen? So today we're going to touch on this picture of the fear of the impossible. But if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Luke 1, verses 26 through 38 together. Beginning in verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word today. Come to this picture of the fear of the impossible. Lord, help us to, to see things as they truly are. Not based on our eyes, God, but based on who you are. And help us to come to know today like never before that nothing is impossible with you. God, just speak today into our perceived impossibilities, and shatter them, we pray. Shatter them, God, we pray, by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you, once again, be seated. So before we dive into some of the truths this morning, I want you to just think with me real quick. What was Mary afraid of? So what was Mary afraid of here? And the obvious answer, of course, is she just saw an angel. So last week we said that angels in the Bible did not appear as chubby, harmless-looking babies floating around on clouds wearing togas. That wasn't the biblical picture. Angels in the Bible are um, given to us or seen to us as fierce, warlike creatures. When angels appear in Scripture, they almost always preface their message by saying, don't be afraid or don't worry, you're not going to die. So that's kind of the, the picture here. When an angel would appear, they would always say, don't worry, you're not going to die in this moment. Do not be afraid. But just think about angels. They're angels who were able to, by God's command, strike down nations. I think about the angel that 185,000 Assyrians struck down by an angel at the command of God. So think about the, the power of that, being able to carry out the command of God, but then at the same time, the submissive nature of an angel, submissive enough to take God's message to people who in our eyes seem extremely insignificant. And I'm sure the sight of the angel was overwhelming to Mary, but I love what Luke does here. Luke says specifically that she was troubled not by the angel, but by the, the message of the angel. By what the angel had said. 
Then after this plan is revealed to Mary, Mary says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? I'm a virgin. And think about this. Isn't Mary's question kind of doubtful? And this is where we say, well, yeah, it kind of is. Mary's basically hearing this message from Gabriel saying, excuse me, Gabriel, I hate to uh, interrupt you, but just in case you didn't know, I'm a virgin. Therefore, you might want to find somebody else because what you're telling is just there. I don't know how it can happen. And so just thought you want to know um, that um, you're speaking about things that just can't be. And so she's just kind of declaring that, laying that out there. And we think about this. We think about, isn't this the same thing that Zechariah did that we saw last week when Zechariah said, well, how can this be? And what we realize is that how come Mary gets an explanation from the angel and Zechariah gets time out? You know, how, how does that happen? It, you know, had, had Zechariah just gotten the grumpy angel and Mary got the nice one? Is that kind of how that happened? There's a good cop angel and a bad cop angel and Zechariah just got the bad cop? Is that kind of And then we realize, no, it's Gabriel both times. The reasoning that it seems to be that Zechariah got the punishment and Mary got the explanation is because, get this, there are two kinds of doubts. There are good doubts and there, there are bad doubts. There is a kind of doubt that grows out of unbelief, meaning there is a proud and defiant kind of doubt that looks with bitterness at the word of God and says, that won't happen in my life. That might happen in everybody else's life, but that will not be true of me. And that was Zechariah. Then there's a doubt that grows out of a humble heart that looks up to God in awe and says, God, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how that's even possible but I'm going to trust you. God, I don't know how it can even be possible, but yet I will trust you, and that is Mary. That's what Mary does. I read an example this week I thought was so strong, and it is this. Doubt is a foot planted on the ground. So doubt is a foot that has been planted on the ground, and one of two things can happen. First, we can either keep that foot planted and what will eventually happen is unbelief will eventually engulf our lives and we will live in unbelief of what God can do. So we stay right where we are and eventually unbelief is coming or we have to pick up our foot from the doubt that is placed in and we have to take a step of faith forward. Believing that God will do what he has said he will do. And I, I believe today, maybe across this room, there are people who your foot right now is planted in doubt. And one of two things is about to happen or is happening. Either unbelief is filling your heart. Or there needs to be a God moment today where you pick up your foot and you take a step of faith forward. And what God is telling you to do. And here's, here's what's so awesome. In answer to Mary's honest and humble doubt, the angel gives her one of the greatest declarations ever given in Scripture. A declaration that has encouraged my heart on more times than I could ever tell you. The declaration is this, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Meaning, when all of our objections have been laid out, when all of our impossibilities have been accounted for, the one truth still remains, nothing is impossible for God. One truth still remains. So we're going to jump back to that 
declaration at the end today. But with that declaration hanging over this whole chapter and hanging over us this morning, what I want to do is I want us to look at this text again and unpack three impossibilities that rise to the surface in the announcement um, of from Gabriel to Mary concerning the birth of Jesus. So three impossibilities that rise to the surface here. So the first is this. The first is the impossibility of a visitation. So the impossibility of a visitation. So how this visitation even happened in the first place. So look with me at verses 26 and 27. So in verse 26 and 27, it says again, in the sixth month. Well, the sixth month of what? The sixth month of Elizabeth being pregnant with John. So the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, so mark that there, Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So mark that as well. I want to put before you today the impossibility of this visitation by first of all looking at the place where Gabriel visited, meaning Nazareth, and then the person that he visited, a poor, humble virgin named Mary. So the first, I want to place before you Nazareth, this city unknown city, unknown reason called Nazareth. Later on in John chapter 1, in John 1, when Jesus is about to begin his ministry, um, Jesus comes on the scene, he presents himself, and there's great um, excitement going on. People are telling other people he's here. And we read in verses 45 and 46 of John 1 that, that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is him. And then Nathanael said this, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And just so you know, that's not a compliment. That's not a compliment at all. It's estimated that at the birth of Jesus, Nazareth had a population of no more than 400 people. So just let that sink in. Nothing much came from Nazareth. It was an obscure village tucked away in the hills of Galilee. We have a, a lot of places, or a, lot, a lot of names, excuse me, for places like this. We call them backwoods, boondocks, Hicksville, redneck country, or Oceanway, just to name a, a few. But those are the nice names for these kind of places. But every state, every city has a place like Nazareth. A place so remote that nothing ever happens there. No one of distinction lives there or no one of importance has come from there. In fact, many places like Nazareth, if they were just to blow them off the face of the earth, a lot of other people wouldn't even know. Because here they are, never go out, never touch anyone. They're just there. Yet, when the fullness of time had come, the salvation events were introduced in an impossible place like Nazareth, then to an impossible person. Think about this. It also involved the unassuming poor virgin girl who lived there named Mary. Mary was not a princess who lived in a palace. She was a poor young virgin girl who there was nothing special about her in the eyes of the world. Yet, according to Gabriel, she had found favor in the eyes of God and God chose her to do the impossible. God chose her to do what some could argue, and I would even argue this, would be the most important human job in the history of the world. So God chose Mary to do the most important human job in the history of the world, which is to bring our Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world and care for him. Just imagine that. Mary, here he is. Don't mess him up. 
I mean, just, um, just think about that. Here's my son, Mary. Don't mess him up. Don't do anything that will mess. I mean, just that's a lot of pressure there for her. She was the un, or she's a perfect, unlikely choice, which made her story even more remarkable. Because we will say this, although Mary was a virtuous woman, we see that all throughout Scripture, she was a favored woman. She was also a sinful woman. She wasn't sinless, yet God chose her in spite of her sinfulness and despite the fact that Mary was a nobody living in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. I love the words of Pastor Greg Laurie who said, Mary was handpicked to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But then he writes this, I seriously doubt that Mary in her wildest dreams ever read that verse and thought that virgin must be me. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine Mary reading the verse going, it's got to be me. No, never in her wildest dreams would her name ever come up when she read that verse. Everything about this story is wrapped in impossibilities, whether it be Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Whether it be this virgin girl, poor virgin girl, can anything good come from her? Yet the beautiful thing is anytime I find myself questioning what God is doing or anytime I find myself feeling good about myself, I'll often take myself to 1 Corinthians 1 where I am taught that God chooses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things of the world to put to shame those things that are strong. He chooses the humble things to put to shame those things that are, that are proud. This is the picture of what God does and is doing but think about the impossibility of a visitation to Nazareth or to Mary that then to the second impossibility secondly the impossibility of the incarnation so let let that sink in for a second the impossibility of the incarnation look with me at verses 34 and 35 so now we see it says and Mary said to the angel how will this be since I am a virgin seems like a good question to ask in this moment and the angel answered her the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will, will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the doctrine that rises forth from this text is the doctrine of the virgin birth. And before we jump in here, I wanted to declare with all conviction that I, as your pastor, and to my knowledge, and it better be this way, everyone on our ministry team believes wholeheartedly in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And, and we live in a world, and you might not know this, where last year and even this year, um, pastors, cool pastors who think they know better are coming before their people saying, it's no big deal. If the virgin birth didn't happen, that didn't change anything. And they're, they're declaring nonsense. It changes everything because it makes God a liar. And so here, here's the point here. I'm going to kind of double back on that in just a second. But let me, just, let me just say this. I believe wholeheartedly that God is able to do what is impossible for us. And not only is he able, he did it. He did it in sending his son to be born of a virgin. But I love what Pastor Sam Storm says. He says, it would be more proper for us to speak of the virgin conception of Jesus than of his virgin birth. His birth, as far as we can tell, was like any other birth. So too was his embryonic development in the womb of Mary. What sets Jesus apart is the fact that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. 
So that's the picture here. So what the virgin conception and the virgin birth shows us is that, number one, salvation ultimately comes from God. Comes from the Lord. This whole picture isn't Mary did this, Mary did that, everybody else did this, so God said, I've got to get her. She's the one. She's done all this. She's checked off all the boxes, therefore, she's got to be the one. And Mary says, I've been trying so hard, thought I'd be the one, wasn't quite sure. I'm so thankful, peace on earth. I mean, that's not the picture here. The picture is God chose her to show that this is God's doing. Everything about this, the Holy Spirit coming upon her, is God's doing from beginning to end. And then the second thing we see is that only through the virgin birth could full deity and full humanity be joined together in one person. So only through the virgin birth could that happen. And just think for a moment, just think with me just for a moment, of other possible ways that Christ could have come um, to the earth and none of them would so clearly unite humanity and deity as the virgin birth did. It would have probably been possible for God to create Jesus as a human in heaven. And sometime in the history, God sent Jesus down, let him descend onto earth to be a human. But in that moment, we would have a hard time identifying with Jesus as a human. We would have a hard time thinking that Jesus could identify with us. In fact, what does this alien know about our life? What does he know about life here? We'd have a hard time with that. The other thing is that Jesus or God could have allowed Jesus to be born of a father and mother. And then sometime later, attach a divine nature to the human nature he already had. But the problem would be, it'd be hard for us to ever see him as being fully God. How will we see that? How will we come to terms with that? Because his origin would be just like ours in every way. And this is where we come to the realization that Jesus is God's son, not because he's a descendant of David, not because he was chosen by God for a mission, and not just because he's morally pure. Jesus is God's son because he was begotten by God. That's what makes him God's son. He was begotten by God. Or as C.S. Lewis um, declared, when you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies, a beaver begets little beavers, and a bird begets eggs which turn into little birds. By analogy, when God begets or fathers Jesus, he begets God. That's the point. God and fathering and the Holy Spirit coming upon, what we get from that is the perfect, sinless God-man. And let me just address this again. There are those even behind the pulpit today that are saying, why does the virgin, virgin birth matter? Does it really matter? And let me just say this. It matters more than I could ever describe to you. It matters more than I could ever describe to you. The fact that Mary was a virgin means that she did not conceive based on an earthly father with a sin nature, but instead through a heavenly father with a divine nature. That was her conception. That's why Jesus was born without sin. That's why he was, in, he was tempted in every point and every way, yet without sin. And that's why he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that's why he was killed, buried, and rose again. And that's why his followers laid their life down for him because they had found in him what nothing else in this life could offer, which is salvation for sinners. 
found that in Christ and in Christ alone. This is the picture, the perfect God-man and what he came to offer, which leads us to our third impossibility, which is this, the impossibility of our salvation. The impossibility of our salvation. And this is going to sound weird. And if you were ever raised Catholic, this is going to step on your toes a little bit. But in this moment, you need to hear that you were told wrong. So just so you know, we're about to go there. So Luke chapter 1, 30 and 31 says this. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. Which leads to the first question or the first thought is this. What is the favor of God? What is the favor of God? Let me just say this. If you stay at home and you watch a lot of TV preachers, that's normally a bad thing to do. But if you watch a lot of TV preachers, what you have been told is that favor of God means that you get everything you want. If you want a BMW, you get it. You name it and claim it. If you want that mansion, you name it and claim it. If you want health, wealth, and prosperity, you name it and God will give it to you. What we also know that it means... You can have your best life now. And then, of course, every time you smile, your teeth sparkle. So that's what a life of favor represents when we watch TV preachers. That's the message. You get what you want. You name it. You claim it. You smile. Ting. And that's it. That's the favor. Is that what you think about when you think about the favor of God? And then let me say this. So if that's what we think about, then let's bring that into the picture of Mary. And just think with me for a second about the situation that Mary had been brought into, not by her own doing, but by God. She has just been told that she is going to be pregnant with no husband in a culture where that is not only frowned upon, but that is punishable by death. You have that. Then the man that she loves, Joseph, there's a really good chance he's not going to believe her and he is going to leave her and he is going to divorce her um, in in a legal way and she's going to be on her own. And then even worse, she is already poor, but she is now going to be destitute with no means of supporting herself. She's financially bankrupt. She has a ruined relationship. Her most important relationship is falling apart. Reputation is is gone. Yet in the midst of this, she's told, but don't worry, Mary, you have found favor with God. That doesn't go along the lines of what we hear today. Because what that, that, in that moment, didn't mean, don't worry, Mary, we're moving you into the mansion. Don't, don't worry, Mary, everything's, everything's taken care of. The, the great um, donkey outside with the 20s, they're waiting for you. You get to go do that. I mean, that's not the point here. That's not the picture. The picture is where did her favor come from? And it came from the fact that God graciously chose her and her choosing involved a baby who would be the savior of the world. For when the angel came to Joseph, the angel said, you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And let me just say this. What if Mary's main problem was not finances? What if her main problem was not bad reputation? What if even her main problem was not a severed relationship with a man that she loved, Joseph? What if Mary's greatest problem was that she had a severed relationship with God and that she needed a Savior and that God in His grace chooses for her in His grace to bear the one who would not just save the world but would also save her? And this is where I would say this, regardless of what the Catholic Church might teach, according to 
Luke 1, verses 46 and 47, Mary acknowledged her need for a Savior. In fact, look with me. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. I'm magnifying God because of this. And look at verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Because of her sin, Mary found herself in the same impossible dilemma that all of us do. We are broken. We are sinful. We are cast away from God. There is a chasm that separates us from God and we are unable to get back to Him. That's all of our impossible dilemmas before God. In fact, turn with me real quick to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, we read an incident where a rich, young ruler comes to Jesus and basically asks him this question, what do I have to do to earn salvation? Tell me what I have to do and I'm pretty sure I can do it. And Jesus begins by placing the law before him. So this is what the law says, and of course this guy in his pride. And the law that Jesus gives him is the law of how he is in relation to others. Jesus kind of left off with good reason, his relationship with God. But lays this apart, have you obeyed your parents? Have you done this? I've done all of that. Got it. Checked it all off. I'm good to go. And then Jesus now turns to the idolatry that's in his heart and says, now you go and sell everything, and then you can follow me. And it says that he went away sad because he was wealthy. He had great riches. In fact, this man becomes the only, one of the only men in Scripture that I can think about that left Jesus in worse condition than when he came to Jesus. He left Jesus in worse condition than when he came. Why? Because Christ knew he didn't come to Jesus humbly. He didn't come to Jesus willing to obey whatever Jesus said. Therefore, because of that, Jesus let him go. Jesus let him go. And look now with me at verses 23 and 24. So then Jesus makes this startling declaration. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Which would have blown their minds because in their minds in that day, if you were wealthy, that was a sign of the favor of God. That was a sign that God had already given favor to you. So now Jesus is looking at them saying, no, that's not a sign of favor. With great difficulty, they'll enter the kingdom. And then verse 24, again I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now what we know is that some people have taught that the needle's eye here referred to a small gate in the wall of Jerusalem and they said that this small gate, the only way a camel could get through this small gate was for the camel to crawl on all fours which was a symbol of how we must come to God in all um, humility. So we have that. The, the problem is there is no record of this needle's gate um, ever appearing in Jerusalem until the 9th century and some people believe the 19th century that it all of a sudden appeared. But here's what we know. Although Pride is absolutely a hindrance in us coming to God. The point here is not just about humility. Hear this, please. The point here is about impossibility. It's about impossibility. It's not just hard for this man or for any other man to enter the kingdom of heaven on their own. It's impossible. That's the point. It's impossible. Now look at verse 25 and 26. Same chapter. 
When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? So basically their whole idea of the favor of God and who can be saved is blown out of the water. If this guy who is rich, who we think has God's favor, can't be saved, then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus says, looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And here is the reality. Brothers and sisters, it is impossible. It's impossible for man to do anything to earn the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible for man to do anything to earn the kingdom of heaven. We need, desperately need God to do the impossible for us. And thankfully, by his grace, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So let me say this to you this morning, and please hear this. Therefore, salvation, our salvation, has nothing to do with human merit. and has everything to do with divine achievement. It has nothing to do with you and I earning our way in. Nothing. I remember there was a time where I was the, I'm telling you, I was the poster boy of being a Baptist. I was opposed, back in the 80s, we used to have this thing where if we would have perfect attendance, say all of our memory verses, do all the things we were supposed to do, at the end of the, the year, they would bring us up front and they would give us medals. I tell you, I was a five-star general in the Baptist church. I mean, I had medals beyond medals. I mean, I was it. I, was, I mean, I was, sir, yes, sir. I mean, I was, I was that guy. I mean, I had it. Oh, but here is the point. The point is you can be a five-star general in the Baptist church and it not be good enough to earn your way into the kingdom of God. Because for you, it's not about what I have done. It's not about what you have done. It will forever be about what Jesus has done for you. And if you ever get that wrong, you will, you will miss eternity. You will miss eternity. Remember as we said a few weeks ago, the gospel can be summed up in four words. Christ in my place Christ in your place Christ in my place he has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves but let me just say this in closing if we can go back to Luke chapter 1 I want to lay before you verses 36 and 38 they're going to be on the screen but I want you to look at them as well I'm going to lay these verses before you once again I believe I'm really praying and really seeking the Lord here I I think we're about to have a moment that, that I believe God has ordained For those of you that are here, but just follow with me here. Beginning at verse 36, angel says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. Poor Elizabeth. Every time we read about her in Luke 1, she's the old woman. I mean, every time when Zechariah says to the angel, "How, How can these things be? I'm old. And in the Greek, it's, but she's really old. So I'm old. She's really old. And now the angel's saying, Hey, even your old, old, old relative Elizabeth, I mean, bless her heart. Every time she's mentioned, she's the old woman. And bless her heart. But it says she has conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. The identifying mark on her life used to be barren. Now it is fruitful. Why? For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Then listen to this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I don't know who came to church today just for this moment. 
but I believe this is a holy moment. For I believe that there are some that are here today that you are facing an impossible situation. I don't know what the situation is. I have no idea what it is, but God knows. And God in his infinite wisdom saw fit for you to be here. Maybe that situation has to do with relationships. Maybe it has to do with your home. Maybe your, your work. Maybe it has to do with finances. Maybe it has to do with health. I don't know what that impossible situation that's hanging over your life is. But what I do know is this. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what I know. Nothing is impossible with God. And we need to have that moment today. You need to have that moment right here in this moment where, yes, your foot is stuck in doubt. And maybe even unbelief is creeping in your heart and bitterness is creeping in your heart. And in that moment, you need to say, God, I don't want that. What I want is I want to be able to take a step forward in faith and leave this behind. And God, by his grace, will allow you today, brother and sister, to pick up that foot and to step forward in faith all for his glory. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. Let me ask you a question. What promises of God are you having a hard time believing? Are you having a hard time believing that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Maybe you look back and you say, I don't see goodness and I don't see mercy. All I see is things that are bad that are trailing me. Maybe we don't believe in Romans 8, 28, that all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things are working together for good. Maybe we don't believe that because we don't see it. Maybe we don't believe the words of Isaiah 43. It says, you will go through the fire and not be burned. You'll go through the rivers and they will not consume you because I will be with you. Maybe we don't feel that. Maybe we'll, we feel like, God, I'm in the fire and it burns. I'm in the river and I feel like I'm about to, to drown. Maybe we don't believe the promises of Jeremiah 29, 13, where God says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And maybe we say, God, I've tried. I thought I sought you and you're nowhere to be found. Or maybe we don't believe in Romans 8, 32, where we're told that he who did not spare even his own son how will he also not freely give us all things? It doesn't feel like it, God. I don't understand. I don't get it. How can nothing be impossible when everything seems to be falling in around me? And I don't know what you're facing, but let me, let me tell you this. I believe I know what your response should be. Based on the word of God, I believe that your response should be the response of Mary, who looked at the angel and said this, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. There are some of us today that we need to say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I have no idea, God, what you are doing, but I trust you and I am your servant and therefore may whatever you declare over me, may it happen. May it happen. And God, Help me to know, help me to believe with every fiber of my being that nothing is too difficult for you. I believe the prayer that needs to be prayed all across this room is, Sovereign God, I embrace your plans for my life. I embrace your plans, O oh God, for me. I am your servant. Let it all be according to your will and help me to know and always trust that nothing is too difficult for you. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to enter into this moment. I don't know what that impossibility is. Some of you, maybe that impossibility is salvation. Maybe you have been led to believe that God would save everybody but you. 
And let me just make it very clear to you today. It's not everybody but you. Everyone includes you. Nothing impossible for God, even your salvation. Some of you are stuck. Like I said, you have your foot stuck in the middle of an impossible situation. And unbelief and bitterness are, are trying to take away faith from your heart. Plead with God to allow you to take that step of faith this morning. Let's seek Him. Father, in the midst of this moment, in the midst of this holy moment, we as a failing, flailing humanity, Lord, we cling to You. We throw all that we are upon You. We say we can't, Lord. We haven't, we can't, we aren't. But we are tired of our foot being stuck in the unbelief that it's in. And the doubt that it's in. We're tired of the unbelief and the bitterness that's creeping into our hearts. We're tired of it, God. We don't want that in our lives. And God, we need you. We need your supernatural power and your grace in this moment today to allow us to pick up that foot from the place of doubt and to take a step forward in faith, believing and knowing that nothing is impossible with you. Nothing, God, is impossible with you. Nothing is too hard for you, oh God. Nothing is too difficult for you. If we don't hear anything else today, God, help us to hear that. Nothing is too hard for you. Lord, we pray. Whatever it is, whatever fears of impossibility that are plaguing any across this room today, that those fears today will be broken. Will be broken today, God, by your power. And that we would all today, God, take steps of faith for your glory. Finish this time. In Jesus' name.